Hey everyone and welcome to Listening at the Orange Door presented by Lose Your Mind. My name's Leanne Butterworth and in today's episode we're discussing all things empathy, boundaries and love with Kai Allen. Uh, you're going to learn a little bit more about Lose Your Mind and the virtual reality experience that we use and the recent trip that I took to Iowa. You're going to hear some feedback from people who participated in the Lose Your Mind mental health literacy workshops in Iowa back in May. Um, I really hope you enjoy today's show. If you'd like to know more, please go to loseyourmindvr.com slash podcast. Uh, this is now the first episode and what's going to be listening at the Orange Door podcast where we talk to people in all different industries about empathy and listening and how it's such a vital tool now in today's workforce. I really hope you enjoy the show. Talk soon. Bye. So a lot of your people already know what I already do. So they know that I have VR. They know that I um, use that to enhance empathy and they know that it's a VR simulation of a psychotic episode. I had the opportunity to run 18 of these workshops in 10 days in Iowa in the United States. So you guys all had exactly the same experience and you took it away something different. Did anyone here, Melissa, speak French? Everybody has experienced something different and yet we expect everybody to be able to tell us details, don't we? And what that did was really, I guess, cement what the workshop is and where it comes alive and where its value is. My son Zach, on August 22nd, 2017, took his own life following a six-year battle with bipolar disorder. I've always known about the issues regarding the negative stigma regarding mental illness. I worked in the profession for almost 30 years, but I really blamed the negative stigma that society has um, as a big factor in Zach's death. Um, it certainly delays treatment. It delays, or in Zach's case, did not, it prohibited uh, full participation in treatment and recovery. So a couple months after Zach died, I had gotten on the internet and I was looking for something that would really impact the general public. Because I try to give people an emotional connection to the content. All right? And that's why the VR seems to work so well is because people come out of it and they feel paranoid and vulnerable and scared and um, isolated and they feel all those things. And that makes them connect with the content. One of the examples that we talk about in the workshop is, have you ever had a kid who's been sick at night or a friend who's been sick, let's say, and they've thrown up? Now, for the majority of us, the first thing that we do, and most people I would hope, is we take care of the kid. Okay, the first thing we do is we comfort the child. And even if it's a grown person, everybody when they're sick, they have an inner child that yeah. needs taken care of. You take care of the child first. You don't analyze the vomit. Mm. You don't go, hmm, when did you eat chicken? Yeah. Like, that's not the first thing you take care of. And yet when it comes to mental health, we kind of forget that. Mm. And we start to analyze the symptoms as opposed to just taking care of the child. Yeah. You know what I mean? We want to know questions. We want to, we want to interrogate. We want to ask, what are the voices saying? Mm. That's analyzing the symptoms. No, 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 we want to take care of the kid. Make them feel comforted and loved and safe. I'm a changed person for being here today. In what way? Um, I feel 
better qualified to listen to other people, to make them feel invited in, um, to just absolutely simply be there for everybody that, that needs somebody to be there. And you know this, disconnection is at the heart, the absolute heart of so many ails, yep. like social isolation, dropout, self-harm, addiction, yep. suicide. Like the number of people, and I've read, um, I've read things that go, oh, look, when I was feeling suicidal and I told someone, I didn't want a pamphlet. I didn't want an action plan. I wanted to know that I was important. Yeah. We deprogrammed individuals from almost their, some of their professional training to remind them that they're not, they're human and first and foremost, the individuals that they re, um, interact with are also human. And sometimes you can resolve a problem or an issue by listening. And that's um, may sound very basic, but as you learn in the workshop, everyone wants to be heard. In order to have those difficult conversations, you need to be vulnerable. You need to connect with something in yourself um, hopefully that we've tapped into it after the VR, but you need to go, I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, you're allowed to completely admit that. You're allowed to say, look, I don't know what to say. But if you're going to have these vulnerable conversations again and again and again with people, if that's your role, then that's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so it's not your job just to give and give and give and give and give because that doesn't get anybody anywhere. So we do talk in the workshop about self-care so how to prepare for hard conversations how to debrief after um setting reminders so that you follow people up yep. because everybody loves a hey how you going especially if in that relationship um you've recommended for that they go and talk to somebody or that you found someone for them to talk to not you should go and see a therapist yeah um, but if you've invited someone into that relationship, into that sacred space, that following them up and going, this is actually important and I'm going to follow you up. Yeah. But also that self-care and going, no, 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 this is important that I take care of myself and I set boundaries. Because not everybody is easy. Mm. You've, you've always got to draw a line between what you can and can't handle. So if you've got someone in your life who's and we had a couple of people in the workshops who broke down because they said, look, there's a significant person in my life, like a, a parent or a, uh, a sibling, who has these issues but is refusing, refusing to get help and is, is really imposing on me and my life and my family. Yeah. And so it was almost relinquishing them of responsibility and going, look, you can be loving and have boundaries. Yeah. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to take care of your family. You're allowed to not be a doormat. You're allowed to listen with love and care and compassion and kindness, but it's not your responsibility to fix. Yeah. And that's sort of a bit of a theme that came out from a couple of these people was, if I, if I stepped back, I don't know what she would do. Yeah as though it's 100% their responsibility to take care of that other person. Yeah. And it's not, you can give, but you're still allowed to have boundaries and take care of, yeah. of yourself. And I think some people kind of don't 
understand that yet. You're allowed to do both. Mm. Well, they don't really know what that looks like. They can't imagine it because there's not many good examples, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. And especially if the other person is saying things like, if you left me, I would kill myself. Yeah. And you go, oh, well, okay. And if you've never seen someone sort of step up and go, no, 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 I care about you, you're important, but I cannot be responsible for that. That's not my responsibility. Yeah. I can love you and I can support you, but I can't fix this. I yeah. can't make it better. That's not my response and that's not fair. Yeah. But let's get you some help, counseling, guidance, support, yeah. let's. That's it, probably more powerful to assert yourself and make those boundaries and have that conversation than it is to just allow the unhealthy behavior to continue. Mm -hmm. It's probably the best thing you can do for someone to say, no, that's not okay for you to say that to me. Mm -hmm. We need to change the way that we're doing this because this isn't going to work. We can't sustain this. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for people who are, you know, in that real codependent space, I help, therefore I am, and I'm one of them. Like, if I can make it better, yeah. then the life will be good. You know what I mean? Like, that's my job. That's my role. Mm -hmm. But to actually stand up for yourself and go, no, no, no. You can't talk to me like that. I'm really sorry. And whether it is or isn't a mental health issue, but I don't deserve to be spoken to like that. That's actually really, it's scary but it's empowering at the same time. Yeah. But, and a lot of people don't realize that they're allowed to do that. Well, let's unpack the fear. What are you afraid of if you do assert yourself and you create those boundaries? You're afraid that they're going to carry, mm -hmm. carry out their threat. Mm -hmm. But the problem is if you don't assert yourself and you don't establish those boundaries, that's inevitably going to happen because you cannot maintain that. That's what I'm saying, like you, yeah. can't, you cannot have that relationship no. forever like it's there's going to be a point where there's going to be a breakdown and it might end in an emergency room visit or it might end in the death of a loved one yeah but you, ca you cannot like stay in that space no and that's not fair to anybody either mm -hmm. like you're not helping someone who's potentially quite ill mm -hmm. by being that crutch yeah. and being that punching bag so and I mean, it's easier in, I guess, friendships where you may be able to sort of You've put some the physical distance. Yeah, yeah. And sort of go, okay, well, I'm going to maybe block you or I can't talk to you for a little while or, but when it's that intimate relationship like parents or spouse or yeah. siblings, yeah. where it's much harder, um, not impossible, but it's still being allowed to set boundaries. Yeah. There's one more benefit to the massive like that's real scary step that we're talking about asserting yourself and establishing boundaries when you do that the other person kind of goes fuck like i'm out of options maybe i do need to like get the help like maybe i do need to go just try something different yeah. because i'm out of options and they actually the, the reality of it sets in yeah oh absolutely and you would hope so that they don't just go oh well fuck you You've, well, that might happen you've too. abandoned me. That might happen too. Mm. Like that might be the manifestation that's so scary and you might freak the fuck out, but you've got to maintain that, that strength and like stand your ground and like really believe in them because nothing says I believe in you more than actually believing in somebody. Yeah. Like really, truly like believing in somebody. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. There are students who are affected by things like that. Um, and to be mindful of that and to not get so easily distracted or so easily frustrated when you feel like a student just wasn't paying attention to you by choice when really maybe that's not the case at all and they were trying, they wanted to know what you were talking about, but it was, it was too hard for them to focus on. So we do an activity where we say to everybody, what is it that you needed in that moment? And somebody's talking and someone's listening and the listener is not allowed to say anything, they just have to listen to their thoughts. What would I normally say? And every single person who's talking, who says something vulnerable, I just heard this, I just saw this, I think I'm struggling. They all wanna be heard, valued, visible but nobody knew how to listen so we had a room full of people who wanted to be heard and a, exactly the same room full of people who had no clues how to listen like and really make someone feel connected they all wanted to make it go away tell them that what they heard and felt wasn't real they wanted to make it better so it's a massive disconnection because we all want to be heard the interesting thing there is everybody, it's the fact that it is the same people. It's the same, the same people. The same people saying the two contradicting yeah. things like, I want to be heard, but then when it's their turn to do the listening, I want to fix it. Yeah. Like, that's just so funny to me. And like, so it's obvious as well, but it's like one of those things that's not obvious until you see it. Or until you feel it. Yeah. Like, these people went, as much as I hate these people, but the people in the workshops went, Oh, oh, I wanted, I wanted both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Because we say to them, when you were vulnerable, when you said to somebody, I think I'm struggling, and you told them about something that was, wasn't even real, the fear was real, but you told them something that you experienced for three minutes and you wanted to be heard. And in ex did you want a pamphlet? No. Yep. Did you want an action plan? No. Did you want to um, be dismissed and told that you were crazy? No. What did you want? I wanted to be valued. I wanted them to say that they knew what I was going through. Okay. Yes. And then when we say to people after the event, so we say to people after they've done the VR, It's noisy today. Um, after they've done the VR and they take it off. And I say, what did you feel the instant you took it off? And most people say, I'm huge sweeping generalizations here, but this is, yeah. like I said, 18 workshops, 10 days. Most people go, oh, I just needed a minute to myself. I needed um, a nap. I was relieved when it stopped. I wanted to just remove myself. Um, I wanted a drink. The afternoon sessions primarily go, I just wanted a drink. I wanted to have a smoke. And we say, why did you want to do that? And they want to do it for two reasons. Firstly, to reduce their stress and calm their nerves. People feel overstimulated after the VR. But also they want to make it go away. They never want to think about my VR again. They go, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to forget. So, okay. So Friday night after a shitty week at work, why do we have a drink? Because we want to forget. 
And if we take that one step further, you go, you wanted to forget a three minute experience. Someone who lives with this, who can't take the VR off, they don't have that luxury. And undiagnosed psychosis in the USA is 74 weeks. Undiagnosed med, um, mental illness is 10 years in the USA. There was a report about it in May. Like the average, average undiagnosed. Average, undiagnosed, untreated mental illness in the USA is sitting at 10 years. Yep. Now, after three minutes, you wanted a drink. How would you feel after 74 weeks? So we, we can't, we can't, it's not these people. Yep. It's us. Yep. We respond exactly the same way. We all want a nap. We all want social isolation. We don't want to be touched. We don't want to be yelled at. We don't want a pamphlet. We want to be heard. We want a quiet moment. We want no distractions. We might want to calm our nerves. If you have to go through this <laughs> repeatedly, um, you have to have some people there that, that support you. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be extremely challenging, especially for somebody who's you, you know, a youth the age of an adolescent, young adolescent, teenager, um, you just, there's no way that they can work through this on their own. Because the question came up a little bit of, yeah, but what if, yeah, but what if they did drugs? What if they did drugs? What if they're having a psychotic episode because they smoked something? Okay. That's not your business. What if they're having a drug-induced psychosis versus a garden variety bipolar psychosis? Okay, that doesn't change anything. You still have a human in front of you who is hurt and sick and afraid. Doesn't change how they got there. So when we talk about our own biases, if we have someone who has lung cancer in front of us and they say, I have lung cancer, now there's a huge amount of people now who have lung cancer and lung cancer is one of the least funded charities of all of them. Um, but we always ask one question first. What do we ask? Do you smoke? Do you smoke? Why do we ask, do you smoke? To blame the person for their illness. Yeah. To put blame on the person and to distance ourselves. Okay. You still have a human in front of you who is hurt and sick and afraid and confused, okay? You still take care of the human first, okay? They don't need your bias as well. They don't need your shit. Yeah. They don't need your judgment. They have enough to handle. They have enough to deal with. They want your connection and to know that that human is important. So when we talk about mental illness, it does not matter how they got to that point, whether their mum had the flu in the second trimester, which is um, one vulnerability. Yeah. Or if their mum smoked pot, or if they smoked it, or if whatever. It does not matter and it's generally not your business. So someone doesn't wake up on their very best day and go, hey, I'm gonna see who I can piss off today. I'm gonna smoke this and see what happens. Yeah. It's generally not their best day when that becomes an option and there's lots of studies now that talk about the core of most addictions is disconnection yeah like, I'm a massive fan of Johan Hari's TED talk 
Yeah. I'll, I'll link it down below even. <laughs> like yeah. it's one of, it's that good. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, this sucks over here. Mm. I get a little bit of a high from this one. This one has negative. So, and it doesn't matter if it's drugs, alcohol, smoking, chocolate, yep. sex. Yep. There's a downside, but hey, I'm not willing to give up the high because if I give up all of that, that's all I've got left. Yeah. So it's filling a void, yeah. even if there are downsides. So someone with lung cancer, sucks to be you. You, like, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Thank God it didn't happen to me, but sucks to be you. It, no, people don't smoke because it's a good time. People smoke because it, calms their nerves because yeah. it reduces their stress like you can't blame me I had postnatal depression yep. and my postnatal depression came out as postnatal pissed off yep. it came out as rage you know what I mean like I was gonna hurt somebody like really I remember having Zara up against a wall at 18 months old just fury in this child's face and I recoiled like oh fuck but it <coughs> But everybody around me dismissed it. Yeah. That's normal. We all get angry. Like, we all got through it. The days along, the years are short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because nobody talked about it. Yeah. And also, uh, I had this self-imposed stigma of, well, I had two all-natural water births. Why would I have postnatal depression? That happens to other people. You know, people who don't have support, and that happens to other people. Um, but mine came out as postnatal pissed off and it wasn't diagnosed until Zara was three that's a long time but ultimately when you think about it I brought it on myself didn't I I would never have had postnatal depression if I hadn't had the baby or the second baby but nobody goes well you brought that on yourself didn't you you know what I mean? Like that's, that's not the response, even though technically it was self-inflicted. Yeah. Well, um, it's... I also <laughs> think that it's unfair, that whole argument that anything is self-inflicted because one individual can get away with a lot more than another. Oh God, yeah. There's certain people that get fucked over by the slightest little environmental variable. So for somebody who's their life's together to look at somebody else who's in a psychosis and say that's your fault, it's super unfair because oh. you've probably done crazier stuff and got away with it. But also, also, when we talked before about, okay, I wanted to smoke, I wanted to drink, I wanted to have some sex and I wanted to whatever, they're all very socially acceptable. Yeah. They're socially acceptable and they just don't have the, they don't have the negative consequences or the risk that smoking something or injecting something or whatever other options there are they're very socially acceptable so um some are more socially acceptable than others yeah but if you said that you wanted a drink or a smoke and let's say that didn't cut it anymore let's say you still heard the voices and saw the snakes you might try something stronger yeah and something stronger again something stronger again it's not like yeah, like you roll the dice. Yeah. And it just happens that your drug of choice, my drug of choice is chocolate. But people still vilify 
people going, well, you ate too much chocolate, now you have heart disease, that's your fault. Yeah. yeah come on. I had the opportunity to take the training with law enforcement and it was really interesting to watch them unfold during the training and come to understand um, what citizens are going through. We are so quick to judge. And there's a lot of, a lot of what people are talking about now, like in the mental health space. Yeah. A lot of it is, you've got to talk. You've got to talk. Like more power to you, you've got to talk. Like my beloved, wonderful trademark boys, you've got to talk. Yeah. Speak up. Yeah. And a lot of the rhetoric is, listen without judgment. Yeah. But nobody knows how to do that because we love judgment so much. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are there. Lung Cancer Foundation, fuck all funding. Breast Cancer Foundation, lots of funding. Yeah. Because that's your own fault and that's not. Yeah. Okay, so when we talk about listen without judgment and it's just this throwaway line, nobody knows how to do it. So that's ultimately what I'm trying to do with the workshops and with the VR is teach people how to listen, mm. how to listen with love and kindness and curiosity and no judgment and go, I have a human being here who is struggling with something. They deserve my attention and my love and my interest and my curiosity and my kindness and my compassion and my empathy and all that sort of stuff because I have a human here who wants to be at their absolute core visible and valued and heard. And if I can offer nothing more than that, that's a worthwhile interaction. Like if I can come out of it and go, you know what, if you tell me something vulnerable and I go, you know what, I have no idea what to say. I'm really glad you told me. That's bigger than me. I don't know what to say, but let's figure it out. Um, it's important that you told me and you are important to me. I have no idea what to do with that. Yeah. That is much more powerful than you should go see a counsellor. And it might come from the same place and that you might end up in exactly the same spot. Yeah. You may end up seeing a counsellor. Mm. But you will feel very, very different. And if you go there based on you should see a counsellor mm. or you are important. Well, I'm doing that peer support training right yeah. now. And one of the big things that they say is super important is self-determination. So if, if, they're if the individual is engaged in their own recovery, they get millions times better results than if you just tell them to do something and they do it. Yeah. Nothing happens if they just do, that they follow instructions. They have to engage in the process. Yeah, but also when we're talking about mental illness, yeah. mental health disorders, these are not intellectual things. I can't tell you to believe something or not to believe something. Yeah. We're dealing with things of the heart. You know what I mean? And so if you don't feel engaged from that level, like when you think about religion, for example, I can't tell you what to believe or what not to believe. It doesn't work that way. Same with like psychosis. These are strongly held beliefs. And if you feel part of it and you feel supported and loved, you're much more willing to be open to going and seeing someone mm. than if, yeah, if you're, I mean, anything that we do, you can relate it back to kids. 
And I do because I'm a mum and that's what we do. But you can't tell a kid to eat their vegetables. Mm. But if you include a kid in growing them or cooking them, they'll eat them. You know what I mean? Like, you can't tell someone to open up to you. You can't tell someone to do something, as much as I try. Um, the best way you get information out of people is to disarm them and be next to them and be with them, not confront them. Yep. You know what I mean? You can't... It doesn't work that way. And I think a lot of us have forgotten that because we're so afraid of being vulnerable that we just want the interaction to be easy. Yeah. I tell you, you go do it, good, not my problem, let's move on with our lives. Yeah. And, I mean, I've done that. We've all done it. We've all... Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of it. Um, going, no, 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 you should just go. You should just go see someone. Like, I know that I've said that back when I was Miss Fix-It. Because people don't... Because in my head, the more perfect I am and the less vulnerable, then the more I'm valued... You know what I mean? That's where my value is, getting shit right. Yeah. But people don't relate to that. People relate to vulnerability. Mm. So if you think about, let's think about a plane full of people. Lots of random people, a plane full of people. The only time you ever hear about a plane full of people becoming friends... Is when it's going to crash. <laughs> uh. the, the, think about the people standing on the wing of the plane in the Hudson. They're all Facebook friends now. There's a whole group of them. Yeah. Because they were all vulnerable at the same time and they all have a shared story. They all have a shared pain. Yeah. People don't connect on a general rule. And if you're a little bit different, you've got even less chance. Yeah. But the fact that they were all vulnerable at the same time, they're now all good friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what connects people, not perfection. It's those imperfections that getting it wrong, being able to say, look, I don't know what to say and I'm probably going to fuck this up. Yeah. But I'm really glad you told me. You know, as we were going through it, I was like, well, that kind of sounds like my student. That sounds like another student. That sounds like another one. So hopefully I can try to reach them um, on a more consistent basis. You know, sometimes I do pretty good. Um, and I know other times I'm like, well, I, I failed. I, you know, I could have done things better. Yep. So hopefully if I can do things better, more consistently, yeah. that will end up obviously for positives for the students. Because when we talk to police, we, t we talk about how to connect with people. Mm. And a lot of them have forgotten or they don't think they're allowed or they have this massive hurdle. I mean, we all do it. We all sort of, you're driving along and a cop car's behind you and suddenly you start, okay, I'm not on my phone. I'm doing the right speed. What am I doing? Like, we have this instant, I guess, adrenaline rush when you see a cop to go, oh, am I in trouble? And I said, you guys need to get over that hurdle first because you need to be human first and your role second. And they're like, well, how do we do that? And I'm like, well, if they're wearing a shirt that says True Grit, talk about that. If they have a neck tattoo that you like, talk about that. You've got to, and disarm's probably not the right word in the police sense, but... You've got to disarm people and make them see you as a human and actually have conversations and be interested in that person as a person. Yeah. Not as a troublemaker, not as a druggie, not as and so we talk a lot about that destigmatizing language of what language you use in describing people as well. Do you say a schizophrenic? Do you say these people? Do you say deal with? 
because even that language in your own in your own I guess vocabulary can be very very distancing so if you change it to I deal with these people it's no 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 I meet people or I have interactions or people in my care because even if it's you and me I'm not dealing with you I'm relating to you does that make sense so it's how do you, what language do you use? Have you ever used the phrase off their meds? Mm-hmm. And why is that a nasty, stigmatizing, distancing as though it's just that easy? Mm-hmm. Do you use words like just and should? Do you use words that are belittling and dehumanizing? And do you come at relationships and um, the community with this Vision that people are out to ruin your day or that you are so privileged to be in your position. That's why, because I say to police, why are you a police? They say, because I care. Not because I want to put bad guys in jail. That's not why guys are, and women, that's not why they're cops. They're cops because they care about their community. Bring that out. But the police... And the fireys were by far my favourite because the shift was so huge. They started to see people as people and they started to see um, how their energy affected an interaction. If they come at it thinking a person is angry, that's a very, very different energy because stress begets stress. Stress makes symptoms worse stress makes the whole thing explode but if you come at it with an energy of thinking that someone is afraid and whether they're afraid because they're on a drug induced psychosis and they can see shit everywhere or if they're having a bipolar or if they're having a panic attack or an anxiety attack doesn't matter it's not your business your business is that you've got a human in front of you who is sick and afraid you come at that with a very different energy Mm. to if you come at it thinking this person is angry and this person is a danger and this person is a menace or a burden. So that's the shift that we saw and I'm actually getting feedback from these guys. This huge shift in thinking and then a huge shift in behavior based on that thinking. Yeah. Because I deal with people that have problems every day at work and oftentimes in my personal life as well. Um, I think everybody has some condition or some problem to some degree, and the more people that feel strong enough to help them, the better off we're all going to be. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Kai for having a chat with us today. If you do want to learn more about how to improve the empathy at your school or workplace or in your community, don't hesitate to contact us at loseyourmindvr.com. We'll talk soon.